Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and once again on this episode, we're delighted to have the good Reverend Dr. Kevin Adams. This episode, we are going to dive right into our conversation. We talk about the exuberance and remarkable energy of Psalm 18. We talk about the care of God for his people and, of course, much more. If you're wondering where the psalm reading is, I invite you to go back to the previous episode. We did there a special reading where the whole episode was just the psalm, since it's actually quite a bit longer than some of the other ones we've explored so far. So you can consider this the companion episode to last week's psalm reading, if you will. Well, without further ado, let's get to our conversation on Psalm 18 with Dr. Kevin Adams. Enjoy. Kevin, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thanks, Matt. It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you, always. Well, you know, you have a longer psalm like this, the longest one that we've encountered so far as we've been going through the psalms. I, I know that I need someone to carry the episode with sure hands, and so I call <laughs> I call Kevin. Well, I'm just grateful you didn't say, I need someone who can do three episodes in a row or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That was another option that we yeah, talked right? about, wasn't it? No, somehow we're going to condense this 50 verses into one conversation, which is maybe a good note for listeners who hopefully understand this anyway, is that there's no way we're going to cover the breadth and depth of the psalm. All these conversations, in fact, consistently fail to cover the breadth and depth of the psalms. And in some sense, we're just, these are starting conversations for further reflection and hopefully for your own psalm reading as well. That's maybe worth noting here at the top. Unless, unless, Kevin, you're about to take us on a, you know, three-hour master class of Psalm 18. <laughs> no, sorry to disappoint, Matt, but I think you're so right. <laughs> that every, every conversation about the Psalms is in some ways just a beginning, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, let's go ahead because we can use these same three questions that we've been using, whether right. a Psalm is six verses or whether it's 50. So why don't we dive in to this familiar format, even with some additional kind of content to consider. Kevin, the first question is always this, what stood out to you in reading this psalm? I want to give a multiple answer, right? It's so, there's so much that stands out, but I'll just begin at the beginning. I think one of the things that stands out, we've talked about there are psalms of justice, there's psalms pleading for the rights of the poor and the innocent, there's psalms pleading for someone's own rights and needs, but this psalm has a kind of exuberance there's justice and that mm. kind of stuff in here as well. Pretty important in almost every psalm. But there's just kind of an exuberance. The beginning, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And that word love, with a little shout out to our friend Libby Backfish, who knows her Hebrew better than either of us put together. That word love For is sure. kind of unusual. It's like an extra passionate, extra emotional, extra tender kind of love. There's sort of covenant love, which is big and strong in the psalms, like 103 and 136 mm-hmm. and stuff. But this is a kind of exuberance. And then kind of related, there's so many, it's like a lover who has too many things to say about their beloved than can be said in one time. (laughs) You are a rock. You are a fortress. You are a deliverer. You are a wall. You are a shield. You are a salvation. You're a stronghold. And here we are just after Valentine's Day. So there is this kind of (laughs) sense about that, right? So one thing I would say is the exuberance and... 
Maybe if I were just going to chime in with a second thing, Please there's do. some great lines in here about with God, I, in verse 28 uh, and 29, Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. And then this mm. wonderful phrase, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, <laughs> I can scale a wall. There's this kind of sense of the exuberance is inside. It's somehow physical. And there's a kind of a delight and a reveling in everything God does and everything God provides in a wonderful way. So there's so many wonderful images, and those are a couple among very many. That that would be a beginning, Matt, anyway. Oh, it's a wonderful beginning. I Derek Kidner is kind of the commentator I find myself going back to as I think and reflect and prep for these. And he, he described the psalm as its energy unflagging. Oh, I love and I that. thought, that's just, <laughs> isn't that just perfect? That is perfect. <laughs> like this... The psalm is propulsive in some ways. It's covering a, a lot of ground. It's obviously longer, but it kind of never lets up. Right. And even that energy of verse 2 that you were pointing to, I love, sort, sort of just bubbling over in terms of these images and, and the relationship to God. But that energy continues throughout the whole psalm. It really propels you all along, I think. So that really... I, I hear what you're saying. I think that's a wonderful kind of way to put it, the exuberance, exuberance. of the psalmist. What yeah. I love I love how you recorded, so this is a little shout out to the previous episode. I love how you recorded multiple voices saying the psalm because mm. I love how that reflects the multiple kind of levels or multiple things going on. And if we begin with that exuberance, the unflagging can be seen in the last verse, right? He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And you had a way of combining the voices, not to give that all away, in the recording, which I thought was wonderful, and a wonderful reflection mm. of really the intent of the psalm. Right. To be said and sung and experienced in community, right? Right. If if I were to add another E word, we can have E words for our first answer. How's that? Uh, yeah. You offered exuberance. I thought this psalm was just incredibly epic, <laughs> particularly... Yeah, particularly verses 7 through 15, this description of God almost awaking and the ground rumbling and him coming down, the dark clouds under his feet, darkness is his covering. It, you know, as you start reading it, he thunders from heaven, his voice resounds. It's so descriptive and it's you know it's summoning images from all these past experiences of god and the life of the people of israel but i i kind of had my mind drawn to movies you know almost marvel movies oh, nice. i was thinking this is kind of the moment this may be a spoiler alert for avengers endgame for friends who haven't seen it but there's this moment where the music swells and suddenly the heroes who weren't on the scene come in to help save the day and it's this epic literally reality parts in that film and people come pouring in and it's that kind of moment right and i don't know this psalm i think just the the language and the ways sort of the image upon image upon image right has a way of building this epic view and then it's all building to verse 16 where god reaches down from on high and took hold of me right the, the end of it is so strangely individual and personal. And I think that's part of the beauty of this psalm is it is, is actually an individual reflection on this rumbling coming of the Lord with the lightning and the thunder and the earth quaking is for the sake of God's anointed, this one, which is really an amazing thing. 
Isn't that really marvelous? You wonder, David, we assume, didn't see the Avengers, any of them. Maybe maybe the later <laughs> right. ones, but not the you know, teasing aside. I don't think he saw any of those. So you wonder if he was a shepherd, he's a king at this point, was it evoking some thunderstorms? What You wonder right. what was going on. Some of these psalms you think maybe were a burst of inspiration. They're short bursts, maybe like a short song. But you wonder mm -hmm. if something like this he had been playing around with and carrying inside pieces of for a long time. And you wonder mm. what theophany, what sort of amazing lightning storm birthed this particular chorus, along with the events of his life where, right, where he's in such serious trouble. And that's why I love your Avengers analogy, where he's in serious trouble. There's no way he can escape. He's in peril. Yeah. Everybody he loves is in peril. But then God comes to save the day. And I love that, like you said, the dance between corporate and personal. And I love the image, too about God bringing us to spacious places in verse 19. So there's that that wonderful mm. thunderstorm of God's righteousness that comes rolling down. And it's almost like someone was confined or or captured in a confining kind of cell. And then God brings them to wide open spaces, mm. which is another kind oh, of yeah. wonderful image, I think. And even the second half of verse 19, to echo kind of verse 1, if verse 1 begins, I love you, Lord, my strength, Verse 19, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Right. In other words, there is a beautiful mutuality to this relationship that the psalmist sees that's right. really wonderful. Well, we could obviously talk for days just around this first question. Yeah, right. As, right, as we start digging into it. But let's move on to our second one and unpack the psalm a little bit more. What do we learn about God from this psalm? Oh, well, we want to say again so many things, don't we? Uh -huh. Yeah, uh, right. But I think one of the, the one of the main things that comes to my mind is God is the covenant king who takes care of his mm. people. So there, it seems like there's this dance in this passage or in this wonderful psalm between the individual king, David, we think, or probably evoking down the road the Messiah. Jesus himself is in this psalm. Right. So God is the king. David is the king. Jesus is the king. And there's a sense in which... We are called, all of us, to be prophet, priest, and king, to follow this old formula, this old kind of framing that comes from Orthodox and Catholic and Protestant. Folks all agree on that. We are all prophets, mm -hmm. priests, and king, following the king, who in this passage takes care of everything that we need and brings us to these kind of spacious, wide-open places. So I think we, we learn that God is the covenant king, covenant being a key word, who takes care of us, I love this closing line, to David and his descendants forever. So God is the God mm. of forever taking care of us, forever being our king. So it's kind of a great picture, right? Yeah. And again, sort of the the breadth and scale, the, the way that this psalm scales back and forth between right. sort of the grand epic scale and then the intimate individual scale the immediacy of the rescue and the forever nature of this care is really i mean it's doing so many things but i feel like whenever we talk about the psalms kevin you and i like to talk about the dance of the psalms a lot <laughs> but the way it dances back As and if forth we have any dance moves I, ourselves maybe that's why we talk about i know it. i know we can speak about dancing as metaphor purely <laughs> probably <laughs> exactly oh but i love that God as covenant king. I was really struck by just how much God is referenced as the rock yeah. in this psalm, which I found really fascinating in a psalm that is celebrating 
David's deliverance from his enemies to continue to go back to the image of the rock. It's not the intuitive image I would think to go back to. I mean, some of these other ones, for example, like the shield he mentions in verse two, and he, he t- does talk about the shield in multiple places, but that this key image of the rock, it's like David knows that in the midst of the chaos of enemies and the midst of the chaos of life in many ways, what he needs more than anything is the stability and faithfulness of God. Right. In other words, the, the temptation is to think, well, God, just give me the tools that I need to overcome this situation. And it's like David is constantly drawing back to, well, the, the thing about God is his faithfulness, his stability, that he anchors me right. in the midst of these seasons. And for that reason, I love you, Lord, my strength, my anchor in some ways. Right. So I was really struck by just that just kept coming up. This refrain in verse 31 kind of feels like about halfway through, who is God besides the Lord, which feels like a, a good common psalm thing to say. And who is the rock except our God? This is a key part right. of who God is. That's worth taking inside, isn't it? And thinking about and kind of meditating on. The listeners who know Grant Springs might be curious to know that's partly where Grant Springs' name came from. Granite is, of mm. course, all around Rocklin, and the quarries of Rocklin were sort of famous for that. But we, we took that as reflective of this image of God being the rock, especially in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. So it really gets to the core of the image of our church name and what it stands for to be part of a community that's trying literally and spiritually to stand on the rock and acknowledge God as our refuge. That's beautiful. Well said. Let's talk about our final question. You know, so, I mean, there's lots, one of the challenges I think of a longer Psalm is it is the temptation as a reader, as a reflector is maybe to just spend all your time sort of marveling at the, at the details. It's like the, the diamond is very large. in this psalm and you can kind of turn it every way but the psalms are always an invitation into our own prayers so how does this psalm how does psalm 18 help us to pray that's such a wonderful question to be a consistent question in all these episodes i think Mm. i think you know there are different kinds of psalms as we've already encountered there's psalms of lament where we really pour out our grief to god there's psalms of complaint where we've got some issue with how god the king of the universe is actually running things There are psalms of thanksgiving, the Todat psalms. This seems like a psalm really reveling in who God is, doesn't it? I don't know if there's a Mm. theoretical category for that in the same way that there are for these other categories, but it really seems to be a psalm of trust, a psalm of confession. There are some psalms that really kind of revel in the, the way things are, and they're kind of stayed. Like Psalm 8 is one of those where you revel in God's majesty. And the whole psalm is reveling in God's majesty. But this is so nuanced. There's so much action. There's so much propulsion, mm. to use your word from earlier. That this is this is a psalm of prayer, I think, that could revel in God's very active deliverance of his people and his very mm. active refuge for his people. You could pray the psalm in a lot of directions, but that's probably the first direction I'd go. Yeah, I love that. And... Because, I, I mean, I can speak for myself and my own prayer life. I think Psalm 8 is maybe a more comfortable psalm. Right. You know, intuitively for me. I'm happy to revel in the things that seem obvious or, just you know, marvel at creation and the ways that that tells me about who God is. It is sometimes harder for me because I think part of it is you have to be aware of God's action <laughs> to right. pray a prayer that revels in his action. So it's an invitation to pay attention and to be aware of the ways God is acting. And so 
I, I love what you said, this idea of reveling in God's active, salvific, really deliverance kind of work that he does in our lives. I think the, the other thing that I was just going to add is that the psalm really invites us to pray imaginatively. This psalm is just so much more than cognitive. And I think you feel that in a sense of the imagery. All the psalms are using imagery. It just feels like it turns it up to 11. Oh my, you know? exactly right. <laughs> right? And it's just like, whoa! And, you know, there's there's ways to read and engage with the psalms that are cerebral, and we can kind of pick apart, where does that image come from? You know, what was David's inspiration here? But for me, kind of the overwhelming impression was, this is a psalm I can picture in my mind's eye. Oh, nice. You know, you can close your eyes, and you can imagine this scene and it leaves lots ambiguous but it's really i think a way of saying our whole minds and our whole imaginations i'm not saying to engage imaginatively in the sense of let's just make things up but that our our prayer can engage that visual imagination the imaginative part of ourselves that explores the bible and the text and scripture is wonderful right that in some ways all of scripture these images and these stories that we can enter imaginatively and this psalm just did that for me I think that's where, you know, some of the Avengers imagery was. And that's a real way to kind of enter a space, enter God's presence through allowing the scripture to lead us into those places. I just find that's a really freeing thing rather than sort of it has to be purely cerebral or purely word based cognitive in that way. That's wonderfully said, Matt. I think that's keep us praying in a helpful direction for a long, long time. I think what you just said. I'm going to add one thing, I think. We're, we're, this psalm is really praying with Jesus in mind, too, isn't it? I mean, all yeah. these things apply to us. All these things apply to King David as the representative yeah. of God's people, but they also apply to David's descendant, Jesus, as well. So to the pure, he makes himself pure. And to, you know, all, we know we don't have all these wonderful qualities, but we know Jesus is really just underneath the psalm, holding all this together and being the yeah. true king, the epic saving uh-huh. king, right? Right. Yeah, the it is amazing. The epic saving king and the one who is most worthy of that saving. What you know what I mean? In some sense he is he is finds himself so fully in the psalm that he is both roles. Yeah, that could give us a kind of a playful picture of Jesus. We see Jesus healing the sick, we see him raising lepers so they can walk again, we see him raising the dead literally, but we, we don't often see him scaling a wall. Like David said, with my God, I can scale a wall. And so you think, okay, that's what it means to be a fully alive human being, to use the word Irenaeus, right? The glory of God is a human being fully alive. And it might push the boundaries of how we typically think of Jesus if we see him in all the verses of this psalm, right? Might be something to play with as well. You gave me this image of Jesus, you know, walking along and there's a fence or something, you know, with the disciples and it becomes a competition of can anyone clear that fence? Jesus, no problem. No problem. (laughs) Goes last. Just puts them all to shame. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's great. Well, Kevin, I so appreciate this is quite the psalm to have a conversation about. It's quite the psalm to prep for. So I appreciate you spending the time and reflecting on it ahead of time and then with us today. It's really a gift. And uh, yeah, to spend time with this particularly special psalm. Thanks, Matt. It's always a treat to be in conversation together and especially about the Psalms. So thank you for inviting me. Well, friends, let's conclude with this verse. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? And then our final verse, he gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing love to his anointed, to David and to his descendants forever. Go out and pray the Psalms. Psalms.